looks like we're going to be hanging out inside for at least a little while longer. And with the colder months coming up fast, there's never been a more perfect time to stock up on all your comfy clothes. Lucky for you, you listen to the Choose Your Struggle podcast, and I have a sweet deal for you today. Check out my sponsor, Pair of Thieves. They've got everything you need, from shorts to lounge pants to underwear and bras. They even have a line of Disney socks with all your favorite characters on it. But here's the best part. If you use the link in the show notes or on my podcast website and the discount code RakutenThieves, don't worry, that's in the show notes too, you'll get 20% off every full price item in your shopping cart. So stock up on all your comfy clothes today and help out the podcast in the process. But I'm going to just go ahead and invite uh, Jay Schiffman up to share his story. So let's give it up for Jay. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I am your host, Jay Schiffman. In January of this year, I told a client who said I'd be good at podcasting, there is no way I'll ever start a podcast. In February, less than a month later, the Choose Your Struggle podcast was born. I started this podcast when it became clear that COVID-19 was going to be as bad as they said, and unfortunately, it turned out to be worse. I knew at the time that even if it was going to be half as bad as they were saying, I had to find a way to continue to work towards my goal of ending the stigma and educating people on the issues of mental health and substance misuse and recovery during the year 2020. As with many things, this podcast started slowly. The early episodes got 25, maybe 50 listens tops. And at the time, I I was a little bothered by that. Mostly because I was not focusing on the right things. And then I got cool with that. And I stopped looking at the numbers because I realized that I was having an impact much beyond what the numbers said I was doing. And I'll be honest, having some incredible guests early on really helped with that. Kristen Zavo was incredible, and the guests who followed her, Kamia Deadweiler, Amanda Webster, Mike Passion of Mountain Maid, who of course became my first sponsor, they were all amazing. And the podcast continued to grow from there. But the next major change came when I got some feedback from author Tessie Castillo, who was an early season guest, you might remember. She helped me understand that simply talking about substance misuse without also discussing drug policy was leaving out a major part of the conversation. And lucky for me, I have like a nerdy level interest in drug policy. So that's when this show's framework sort of came together and and finally was complete. Adding drug policy and drug use to the original topics of mental health and substance misuse and recovery gave me the full lens that I truly wanted to examine with this show. But it also, it also showed me that I was falling short. Only three of the first 10 guests in this podcast were people of color, which quite frankly is just not okay. The three big bucket topics I discuss, mental health, substance misuse, and drug policy, are like way too many things in our world, dominated by wealthy, white, traditionally educated men. To see a change in this, I have to be a part of that change myself. So I dedicated myself to giving the platform to those who don't normally get it. And I meant that in all forms of diversity. Look, I'm really lucky 
with this podcast. I get pitched by people who want to be on this show multiple times a week. And if I wanted to put in that work, I could probably put out three episodes a week just with people who try to get on here. But I don't really want to do that, mostly because I don't want to do that level of work with this, but also because that's not what I'm interested in. Instead, I want to keep bringing people that I truly believe are the very best. And part of that is interviewing people that you won't find on every podcast. Now, this is the last show of this season. I know I originally said there would be a wrap-up episode, but I decided not to do that. I don't think that's interesting. Instead, I wanted just to talk about this here. So without a shout-out, you're getting a little bit of that now in this episode. So quickly, a little bit of season analysis. The Choose Your Struggle podcast shocked everyone, including me, its host, when it broke Apple's top 200 in health and wellness earlier this month. Roughly a third of the listens from this show or so come from Apple, so that's pretty encouraging. It's been played in over 35 countries, and over 40% of the plays come from outside the U.S., which is awesome. I got to tell you real quick that one of my favorite pieces of feedback came from someone who listened to the show in Northern Africa. And they told me that one of the things they like about the show was that it talks about issues that they don't get to hear where they are. That made me super happy because, you know, even if that's like one or two listens in that country, you know, and, and a lot of these countries do, you know, they're less than 1%. So it's like five to 10 listens. That's pretty incredible to know that I've had the impact on somebody half a world away. So a little bit about some of the guests on the show this season. First, a huge congratulations to Alyssa Musto from episode nine, who decided to come out of retirement this spring and ended up being named a finalist in the Miss World America pageant. You all remember her. She was formerly Miss Massachusetts. And this year she was very close to being Miss America, which is incredible. Also, huge congratulations to the Drug Policy Alliance, the organization I raised over $12,000 for on my birthday this year, and for whom Kellen Rusiniello from episode 32 works. They had a huge election night, seeing their work pay off in numerous states. Congratulations to Drug Policy Alliance. Next, I want to thank my sponsors, my day almost one Mountain Maid, who has been with me since their founder, Mike, was, was on the show very early in the year. Kia Babies, Four Sigmatic, Para Thieves, Boston Empire, and finally, Anchor. I couldn't have done this season effectively without all of y'all, so if you're interested in their products, please check out the show notes or my podcast website, jayshiffman.com, J-A-Y-S-H-I-F-M-A-N.com, and go to the podcast page. Now, let's talk very quickly about what comes next. First, I am taking a little more than a month or so off from producing regular episodes, as I've been telling you for the last couple of weeks. But the stream will not be silent. I'm going to be dropping some special episodes and other awesome things every week, every Friday, like I would be during the regular season. So some of those are going to be those special episodes that you used to find on Mondays. Those will now be on Fridays. But I'm also working with a couple other podcasts to drop some fun stuff from their streams on my stream throughout the off-season. These are all podcasts or groups that I support. One of them you're going to hear from is doing really incredible work, and I'm so excited about. 
their name is of substance. They're going to be on here in a couple of weeks, dropping a little, hey, this is what we do kind of thing. It's going to be short. Some of these are going to be very short. Other ones, you know, the special episodes, they may be a little bit longer. But the main focus for me, you know, those, those will be some side work, but the main focus for me is going to be using this time to rebrand and get ready for season two. Number one, I'm saying goodbye to Anchor. It was a great place to start, but there are better podcast hosts out there, and I'm currently working with a couple to decide where I'm going to, like LeBron James, take my talents next season. Once I choose one, there will be a day or two where it may, it may be a little hard to find the podcast as they switch this first season over to their hosting platform, but hang tight. I promise you it'll be better once the switch takes place. The second season, the Choose Your Struggle podcast will look a bit different. There's a new theme song, which was made by an awesome rapper, beatboxer, producer, etc. by the name of Kid Mental. He and I worked together a couple months ago, and it's, it's fire. It's, it's really awesome. And, and that's going to be for the, the theme song transitions and all that. All that's going to be tight. Kid Mental is incredible. There are going to be fewer shoutouts. I've heard from all of y'all. It's not that you don't like the shoutouts. I've heard that. But you want to hear more from me, so there's going to be episodes where there's no shout-out. Instead, I'm going to be talking more on the intro, uh, so thanks for all that feedback. There are some new sponsors in the works and different ads for the sponsors that are returning, of course, because, you know, those get a little tired. But all of that is going to be paling in comparison to the same incredible level of guests that will come in Season 2. Season two is going to start in January of 2021, like I said, a couple, you know, about six weeks or so off. And for all the info during my time away, you can jump on Patreon at patreon.com slash choose your struggle, which is in the show notes, as always. I'll be dropping a lot of info on the Patreon during the off season, a sneak peek of the new theme song, as well as the news of when I choose a new podcast host, what's coming up, etc. The lowest level is only $3.40 a month. There's also a $5, $10, $25, and a $50 level. All of them have unique perks, but all of them also include discount on the merch. The merch is, of course, going to still be available during the off-season. Grab it now for a holiday gift. As promised, I did do the drawing that I've been telling you guys about for the last couple weeks, and the winner is, drumroll please, Frank Young, congratulations, Frank. Thank you for filling out the survey. He was one of the people who got his uh, entry into the, the drawing by filling out the survey. Uh, Frank, I'm going to email you, but if you hear this and you want to reach out to me before you hear from me, please do so. You can reach me through the website, jshiftman.com, or through all my social media, which, as always, is jshiftman or choose your struggle on all the social media. That survey is no longer up. Obviously, it was for the first season, and I've, I've factored in a lot of your feedback as I'm planning season two. But I would love for everyone to keep leaving reviews, which you can do even if you don't listen on Apple, by the way. I've heard from people going, oh, I'd love to re you know, leave a review, but I don't listen on Apple. There is a link in the show notes that takes you to a, a review page where you can leave reviews on other platforms. It's great. It's through a, a podcast service that I use. Check that out. Reviews would mean a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Also, if you are on Apple, keep rating it. I, I love that. Keep sharing the podcast. All of that stuff can still happen during the offseason. Like I said, there'll be a couple days where it may be down, but then it's going to be back up and, you know, all of that stays. So thank you. It's so appreciated. Now, all of that is done, but 
we're going into the final episode, and it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Janelle Vital is breaking barriers, busting stigma, giving people everywhere hope. She's truly amazing. And I gotta say, I'm not the only one that thinks so. I've had some big guests this season, you know, Katie Hill, Angelie Ross, Hoodie Time, but Janelle is in a class of herself. With almost half a million social media followers, Janelle is a force to be reckoned with. Janelle is so incredible that I decided I needed more people than myself to ask questions. So I put a prompt up on Instagram about a month ago, and I asked Janelle a few of the questions that came in. Not all of them were great. That's okay. You know, some people clearly were having fun with the Instagram. But a lot of people asked incredible questions, and those were posed to Janelle in this interview. I'm so appreciative of her taking the time and her assistant, Monica. Shout out to Monica for setting this up. We, we worked together to make this happen. All right, I've talked a lot. Enjoy Janelle. And thank you for listening to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Huge shout out to my podcast sponsor, Mountain Made CBD. Mountain Made is changing the CBD game by offering a line of high-dose CBD tablets at an affordable price. Their products are THC-free and third-party tested for accuracy, cleanliness, and potency. Their products, which now ship nationwide, include Build for CBD saturation, Boost for precision titration, and Recover for rest and rehab. With nine years' experience in hemp and fitness, Mountain Maid's founders are focused on creating a quality CBD product to help those with activated lifestyles. Check out www.mountainmade.life to find out more about how their product can help you crush your life. And you know I'm all about that. Remember, their products ship nationwide. So go check out the website today and follow them on social media at Mountain Made. And also listen to episode seven with Mountain Made founder, Mike Passion. All right, back to the episode. I'm Janelle Vital. I am an advocate for shame-free relationships and sexuality. And my passion is helping people unlearn fucked up myths about sex and relationships that are holding us back and keeping us feeling afraid and ashamed. And I love helping people design relationships that really work for them instead of just going along with what they're supposed to be, which is like a bunch of outdated bullshit. Perfect. You know, the biggest part of this podcast is it really is at its core uh, about two things. It's a storytelling podcast that seeks to end stigmas. And, and so the, the most important part of that is people telling their own stories. So let's start with you. You know, who, you, who are you and how did we get to where we are today? I'm so passionate about ending stigma because that has been such a big journey I've been on my whole life. I grew up going to Catholic school and luckily it was in the San Francisco Bay area. So it wasn't too, too strict, but I definitely grew up with the stigma and the idea that sex was shameful and embarrassing and something that you, you know, should only do with one person or maybe like wait till you get married to do, or, you know, whatever the, like the religious myths are about sex. Um, not to say those aren't great choices for some people, but they certainly didn't feel like the right choices for me growing up. And I felt really ashamed and embarrassed about the fact that I was really curious about sex and exploring. And I also didn't relate to monogamy in the way that most people seem to relate to it in the 
community I grew up in. So I've always had a very open and free perspective when it comes to connecting. Like I genuinely feel that when the people I love are connecting with other people, those people are my allies and not my enemy. And I feel excited about connecting with them. And I have this like this very, yeah, like community orientation towards sex and relationships that isn't about competition and possessiveness, but is really about exploration and growth. And that doesn't make it easy, right? But if, for me, that's just how I am. That's how I orient. And I've always felt that way. And so I just thought I must be immoral. There must be something wrong with me because that doesn't exist. That's not a thing people do. So I didn't have the word to describe myself, which I would now say I'm ethically non-monogamous. So instead I just thought like, okay, I just have no values. And in fact, in high school, one of my best friends told me I had no values because um, I was really curious about exploring sexually and connecting with more than one person. And I didn't see what the problem with that was. Yeah, so it was really horrible. You know, there's a lot of shame. Um, And then into adulthood even, I was experimenting with polyamory, which is falling in love with more than one person at once, which is difficult. I mean, it can be great, but it's challenging. And I still kind of hated myself because I didn't have a lot of knowledge about how to do it right or that it was okay to be doing this. I still felt all the internalized shame and, um, and it made the relationships really hard because I was scared to talk about what I really wanted and what my truth was. And so sometimes I would go behind partners' backs and do things because I was too ashamed to say what I really wanted. So I think all that is just so messed up and it's all behind me now because I'm really committed to being honest and in integrity with what I want and who I am. And in doing so, I find the right people who want to be with me too, who aren't going to judge me or shame me. Cause I'm just like, here I am worlds. This is who I am. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna apologize for it anymore. Well, that's beautiful. And that is something that, you know, my, my podcast comes from the, the direction of the, um, so substance misuse, mental health, uh, but drug use and drug policy world. And, and that is such a, a new thing that those of us who work hard in the drug policy world are trying to help people understand is that, you know, who's it kind of boils down to the but who says you know that that and and a lot of the work that i have done in that space again with the storytelling is helping people see the origins of what we think about drugs and how much of it is based on lies and overt racism uh from the late 1800s early 1900s and let's talk about that from the sex direction for a second sure how much of that is traceable and how much of that is of the, what is traceable comes directly from a religious sense. Yeah. So much of stigma when it comes to sexuality is based on controlling people and population. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Cultures going back for as long as we've been studying anthropology have found various ways to try to control people in terms of how they have sex, how often um, you know, taboos form in ways that are actually healthy for some populations, right? It's like, oh, well, you should not have sex while you're still breastfeeding, like might be a, a belief in some cultures. Um, and that was actually really valuable for nomadic tribes because 
then they would only have a woman would only have a one child that she had to carry at a time. So if they're moving around a lot, that taboo was useful. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having certain guidelines in place for a culture that um, actually really makes sense. And monogamy as a, a social control method was very useful when there was no birth control and from a patriarchal capitalism perspective, monogamy was like, okay, men need to know who to pass their resources on to because we're not just in a tribe where we're all raising our kids together. There's not really communal property. We have individual property. So who gets the cows? Who gets the house? Who gets the, the homestead? So in that system, men need to know who's my property going to, right? And so therefore monogamy as a means of controlling sexual reproduction makes sense. And who's the easiest person to control? Well, it's the woman because she's the one bearing the brunt of literally having the child. So, you know, men can get away with going and having mistresses and whatever, like they don't pay the price of like displaying that they have done the adultery deed. So therefore controlling women's sexuality specifically makes a lot of sense for patriarchal capitalism. So here we are today you know, we're still unshackling ourselves from patriarchal capitalism, but it's still very real, right? In terms of its hold over our culture and our society, but we have birth control. We have new ways of looking at gender and relationships that aren't about, you know, the woman's places in the home, um, you know, and women can choose that, that's fine. There's many more options now. Women can choose to go get a job and, we can choose when we have kids, even if we decide to be monogamous, right? It's like, maybe I want to wait till I'm 38 to start having kids and I can be on birth control. So I think, I think there's definitely a religious component, but I think there's, there's other forces at play, like social economic forces that create taboos around sexuality. And again, sometimes they're useful and sometimes they're not, <laughs> they become outdated. And part of progress is being able to look at those things and be like, is this still serving us? That is a, a wonderful point and one that I want to underscore because it's something we talk about in this podcast a lot. And that is questioning some of the rules that we choose to live by. And when it comes to substance misuse and mental health, a lot of those rules, the substance misuse is, is almost completely you know, created by this society. Again, as I said before, it's all based on lies and, and racism, but the mental health rules, a lot of the times it's things that we have decided for ourselves, right? It's, it's things that I can't do that because I'm not good enough. Well, says yeah. who, you know, says, right. why, why do you feel that way? And that's something I work with, particularly on, with clients is that they'll tell me, well, I, you know, I could never do that. And why? Why couldn't you do that? So I, I think that the challenging the rules piece is so incredibly important because a lot of times we go about our lives without even realizing that we're being held back by something uh, that is almost non-existent. Right. And I mean, in, in capitalistic patriarchy, whatever, it's very useful to convince people that they are inherently flawed or not enough. I mean, there's definitely undertones of that to um, Christianity as well, which is why Christianity and capitalism go really well together. Um, yeah, the fundamental convincing of people that they are not enough or they are um, you know, incapable without the authority figures of the church or of the government or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think we're in a really powerful time of 
um, coming home to ourselves. This is kind of a cool enlightenment period of like, you know, instead of the power being like out there, what is the power within? Again, you know, I told you this before we started recording, but I did a deep dive into your into your uh, Instagram, uh, and and for all listeners, I'm going to give uh, you a chance to to shout out where that is in a little bit, but but definitely go check out her Instagram because it's pretty fantastic. <laughs> you spend a lot of time talking about one of my favorite subjects, and that is vulnerability. Um, you know, it's so huge when it comes to substance, struggling with substance misuse and mental health is there has to be vulnerability both on your end, if you're the one struggling or if somebody else, you believe somebody else is giving them that, showing them that vulnerability so they feel comfortable opening up to you. Mm. Talk a little bit about why that is so big in your work. Vulnerability. Yeah, yeah it's huge. Vulnerability basically just means having the courage to be authentic, even in your messiness and give someone the opportunity to love you as a complete imperfect human. And that is so key for deep intimacy because if you want to really be seen and accepted, you have to be willing to show parts of yourself that you're not so stoked about. Um, and that could also include showing telling your partner that they hurt your feelings or that you have a need that's coming up in your relationship and a lot of us are really embarrassed to have needs you know again we look zoom out and look at the cultural perspective we live in a cowboy culture an individualistic culture uh, where we're supposed to take care of ourselves and not need anybody and that's really not how humans work we're um, fundamentally tribal we're fundamentally social animals and we need each other especially our attachment people literally to survive you know babies need touch to survive and thrive so i think it's really powerful to acknowledge like yeah i have needs i'm not a perfect person i get really scared sometimes and especially i help people who are creating unconventional relationships for the most part um, helping break free from the confines of what a relationship is supposed to look like to design the relationship that really works for them and there's a lot of fear there's a lot of fear that comes up in that and that is normal and natural and jealousy is not something that's necessarily a bad thing if you react to it badly then that sucks, but it's something that you can use as a tool to understand yourself more deeply. And so vulnerability is about how can I embrace my fear and my jealousy and, and the discomfort that comes from figuring out what do I really want? Who am I really? And showing that to another person, that is such profound intimacy. So you touched on a piece um, for the listeners. I am doing something a little different this week because we do have such an incredible professional on the show this week that <laughs> I am. I asked many of you on social media to write in with some questions. That'll be the second half of the show after we take a break. But uh, you touched on one of the questions already. So I want to go ahead and pose this. Um, and, and it's actually perfect timing. Unfortunately, by the time this comes out, this will already be old news, but you have uh, a free virtual class coming up um, about ethically, you call it ethically, ethically non-monogamous relationships. Is that the way you, you, you call it? Yeah. So that's next week. This will come out also next week on Friday. So we'll just miss it. But the question that I would love for you to ask, and, and obviously, like I said, we'll save the rest for the second half, but is how do I approach having a conversation with my partner about having an open relationship? Totally. So much of communicating anything really comes down to being uh, curious 
about your partner and being vulnerable that you're nervous to talk to them about something. So it was something I see a lot with talking about non-monogamy or open relationships is people will like play out this whole conversation in their head and like make a decision kind of like before even talking to their partner. And how can we do like consider this teamwork? So I always say, start with your own vulnerability of how you're feeling in the moment to even be sharing this. So to say, there's something I'm nervous about talking about. And I don't want you to think that I'm not happy with our relationship, but there's something I'm really curious about exploring if you're open to it. And I think it's always good to say, do you have the emotional capacity to have a serious conversation right now? So maybe even lead with that. You know, it doesn't have to be this like clear script, but so basically the, the, the components of communicating this or anything challenging are, do they have the emotional space for the conversation? Give them the opportunity to say, no, I don't, because maybe they don't. Um, and be vulnerable about your nervousness to share this. So to, to disarm them and to give you more permission to not have to say it perfectly, because like that's unrealistic. And then to say what your intention is and what it's not. You know, My intention is to get closer to you by sharing something I'm curious about. And my intention is not to tell you, you have to do anything you don't wanna do or that you're not good enough for me. So those are all the, the pieces I would have in place to frame the conversation. And then if they are available to talk about the, this topic, I would say, yeah, so you know, I've been noticing, I'm curious about uh, ethical non-monogamy and open relationships. Um, I'm just kind of curious about the topic and it seems like something that could be interesting and fun and enlivening in our lives, um, but I want to talk to you about it. Like, how do you feel about it? What emotions come up for you? And to make it really clear that you're not like, so we're going to do this now. <laughs> just like, I'm curious, will you have a conversation with me about this? So let's say you do that, right? And, and the person is just flat out, you know, whether it's, it's, for rational reasons, which there are, of course, for many people there are, or the irrational ones that you sort of touched on earlier, that these are societal expectations that this sort of bumps up against that, that may not be based in truth, but can be very internalized for somebody. What if they're like flat out, I have no interest in even talking about it? Yeah, then it's your job to honor that and to say, I totally get it. I know this is, this is a, this can be a difficult conversation. And then you have to make the decision for yourself of, is that okay? And, you know, with you. And for some people, they would be like, yeah, you know, this isn't that big of a deal. It's just something I think is kind of interesting. And I'm curious about it. In which case, it's okay to sit with that disappointment that your partner is like, a oh, hell no, because it's not that big of a deal to you. And what's true is that every relationship has some level of disappointment. Doesn't matter if you're monogamous, non-monogamous. We need to acknowledge that no relationship has all of the same desires and pieces, you know, lined up. That's just not, that's not realistic. That's some Disney movie bullshit fantasy that doesn't exist in real life. So accepting disappointment is huge. Um, but if you're like, you know, I have to be honest with you that this is feeling like a really deep calling for me to explore. And I'm wondering if, it's something you're open to me, just like at least like reading a book about or learning more about, not saying I'm gonna go do it without you, but um, is that okay with you that I wanna pursue this a little bit? And if they're like, absolutely not, you may have a values, deep values and needs mismatch there, which is very painful. 
very hard. But, um, you know, that's something to explore. And is it better to be in a relationship where you're growing apart and you have a values mismatch that's clearly coming into view? Or is it better to say, you know, I think we're going in different directions. I mean, that's really up to you. People have very different values around like, are we going to be together till death do us part, even if we're completely on the different tracks? Like, that is not my job to say for you. That is your job to decide for yourself. Expertly put. So let's finish this half of the of the interview with saying, if somebody is just listening to this and going, wow, she's so knowledgeable, you know, I would love to, to work with her. What is working with you look like? Sure. Well, yeah, I'm about to do a free class on ethical non-monogamy. I know the people listening, it will be a few days after that, but that is a lead up to all next month, I'm doing an intensive on ethical non-monogamy. Um, so if you're interested in working with me, we're gonna do an amazing program um, all around just discovering, is this right for you? Is this right for your partner? You can do it alone, you can do it with your partner, but there's, um, I created all this incredible content and exercises and practices for really identifying is this the right path for me and for my relationship? So I'd love to invite you to go to my website, lovewithjanelle.com to find out more about that. And I also do private coaching. I love, especially working with couples. My sweet spot is working with couples who um, really want to deepen in intimacy and improve their sex life and who are also at the beginning stages of designing a more open or authentic relationship perhaps like an unconventional relationship. I work around um, LGBTQIA issues and cuckolding and all sorts of fantasies that are kind of edgy and just really helping people let go of shame around what they want. But really the core of my work is helping people get closer to each other. You know, there's a big myth around um, unconventional relationships that, well, it's just gonna be a disaster because you're gonna like fall in love with someone else or you're gonna grow apart. And it really doesn't have to be that way. In fact, the exploration and the communication uh, th this journey can bring you closer. And that's my goal with working with people is like, how do we help strengthen your relationships through this process? Well, beautifully put, uh, you already shouted out your website, but please go ahead and shout out all the other places people can find mm -hmm. you. Sure. Yeah. Love with Janelle is my handle on all my socials. My biggest audience is on TikTok, but I also love Instagram uh, at love with Janelle and Janelle is spelled Jane with an L. I also have a YouTube channel and I'm on Facebook, but not very much. Facebook is like, you know, the older, the older platform I'm not so crazy about. <laughs> My brother and his wife had their first child recently, and it was a pretty big deal. It was, you know, the first grandchild for my parents. But unfortunately for me, I'm just not that big of a baby guy. Like, I'm super awkward when I hold him. You know, my brother put his, his son in my lap, and my nephew looked up at me with this expression like, you have no idea what you're doing, do you? There's pictures, they're pretty hilarious. But lucky for me, thanks to my podcast sponsor, Kia Babies, I knew exactly where to go to get the perfect baby gift. I got my nephew this adorable little towel. It's got these bear ears on it. And now my entire family gets to enjoy these really cute pictures of my nephew. He's all smiley and he's got bear ears. I mean, that's pretty adorable, right? So next time you need a perfect baby gift or just something for your own kid, go check out Kia Babies. 
you can find a link in my show notes or on my podcast website. And when you check out, tell them to choose your struggle sent you. Now is the point where we're going to answer some some listener mail. And this is the first time I've done this all season. Uh, I mean, people have asked questions throughout the entire season. And by the way, listeners obviously keep doing that. I love it. But this is the first time where I'm dedicating a an actual piece of the interview to your questions because, you know, I feel that I am very privileged to get to talk to Janelle here today. Um, she is a wealth of knowledge. And apparently a lot of you think so too, because we've got some great questions. So Janelle, I'm going to go ahead and ask the first one. Um, and, and this was someone who I actually had this conversation with uh, because we were talking about stigma, as I do with a lot of people. And one of the things that I've been curious about, and so we got into this sort of conversation around this, is why stigma around sex has sort of dissipated at least a little bit in a lot of circles. And yet stigma around masturbation is still alive and well. And, and it's a thing that we do not talk about um, even more so than we talk about sex, right? And and my question to this person was, you know, is that a religious thing? Are they still teaching that in church? And she said, yeah, to it a certain extent, but but not nearly as much as they used to. So we really couldn't come up with an answer as to why the stigma around sex is, is sort of petering out, but stigma around masturbation isn't. Why do you think that is? Hmm. I mean, yeah, religious reasons could definitely be involved there. There's been so, so much stigma around masturbation for generations. Like if you masturbate, you're going to go blind or <laughs> whatever crazy stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, I think masturbation is so wonderful. And in fact, um, Betty Dodson, who is like the queen of masturbation since the seventies just died on Halloween. And um, I was really sad to hear that because I read her book, Sex for One, which I highly recommend, which is all about turning masturbation into a self-connection practice. And I think part of the reason there might still be a stigma around it is people just don't really see it as self-love or like a valuable form of anything, connection, pleasure, release. Like it's seen as something, you know, like just kind of dirty and like hidden in the shadows. You just like, you know, jerk off in the shower real quick to like feel a little better. But masturbation can be such a powerful tool, especially when coupled with fantasy. And I know that um, Justin LaMiller, who's a famous um, sex researcher has been noting that in quarantine, more and more people are talking about having fantasies and indulging desires because there's such little uh, um, opportunity to connect with people, right? Out because of COVID. And so actually really reveling in fantasy and desire and um, masturbating in, in a way that's about like self-love and about like really enjoying being in a fantasy can be so nourishing because, you know, you can't necessarily indulge in connection in real life to the extent that we used to be able to, but you can feel connected and accepted within yourself in a place of fantasy, in a place of self-touch and self-love. And even just saying self-touch and self-love, God, those sound so much better than masturbation. It sounds like <laughs> such a, this is such a kind of gross term. That's, um, you know, be just because the stigma is associated with that, with that term. And so I really want to reframe how we think about it to this is a powerful way to relax. Like I just assigned to some clients to you know, I want you to just lay in bed and like put on some music and candles and like caress your own body, not just like I'm going straight for my genitals, like get off real quick. Like 
massage your own hair, give yourself a breast massage, caress the inside of your thighs a little bit. Like, don't just like try to get, you know, get, have an orgasm real quick and then move on. Um, how can you make it a practice of deep connection and enjoying fantasy? So perfectly, you know, perfectly said, and that that's a really great exercise. I love that idea. You know, I, I think it's fascinating that uh, sort of to your point, one of the things I talk about, and I'm going to ask you this question later, but is self-care habits, right? And no one on this podcast has lit ever said the words, you know, masturbation or self-love as part of their self-care. And yet, if you read these surveys, a lot of times self-love is up there as long as the survey is anonymous. If they say, mm -hmm. you know, if we're not collecting names, but the minute you start collecting names, they nev it never appears on the list. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's such a clear sign that that stigma is alive and well, that people yeah. won't admit to it unless they know for sure no one's going to know who said it. Right. Totally. Yeah. So, 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 <laughs> so it, it sounds as if you're saying that you do think that we are very slowly taking positive steps to erase that stigma. I think so. And obviously I'm running in different circles and surrounding myself with different information than this person who feels that masturbation is highly stigmatized. I mean, from my observation, I see that there's still a lot about sex and relationships period that's deeply stigmatized. Um, I wouldn't say I observe that masturbation is still more stigmatized than just sex in general. I think there's certain kinds of sex that are much more stigmatized than others like BDSM or like non-monogamy for instance. So um, yeah, I think, I think that all stigmas need to be questioned and need to be rethought within yourself of like, is, is this really helpful to me? Is this really serving me? And I, you know, I think it's also okay to be, want to be private about stuff. Like here I am being like, Hey world, I'm not monogamous. I talk about sex and masturbation, but like, not everyone can do that. Not everyone has the privilege to do that because of their job, their religion. Um, and you don't have to do that. You know, I think a lot of people who are personal growth junkies are like, how can I challenge myself to put more out there? And, you know, vulnerability might look like, spilling everything and it's like you know no not necessarily it's okay if you don't want to you don't want to talk about your self-love but can you let go of shame about it within yourself you don't have to you don't have to talk about it with anybody maybe your therapist but no you know this that's your that's your inner world but i really want to challenge you within yourself to challenge the stigma and the shame beautifully put and you touched on this and also that goes directly into another one of the questions so uh, this person said some of what I fantasize about worries me a little bit how do I know if a fantasy is harmless or if it's a sign of bigger of a bigger issue and that is directly into what you were you were just saying yeah there's a lot of worry and fear about about desire and about fantasy and what does it mean and I think that what's true is that we cannot choose our fantasies and our desires. They form as psychological responses to various things. So some fantasies will form as a psychological response to um, scary things that happened to you in childhood, even potentially abuse. Um, fantasies can form around something like a disruptive global event like coronavirus, hence why there's so much mask porn now that you can find because people will use fantasy to reclaim psychological agency and empowerment in the face of confusion, in the face of pain. And there's nothing wrong with that. But heretofore, we have been stigmatizing and finding ways to um, 
yeah, slap labels on sexuality, like, oh, well, you know, you have a, we, we've been pathologizing sex um, for, for too long. Like, oh, well, that's, that's messed up. Like you fantasize about being uh, dominated in bed and like you were, you had an abusive father, like, wow, you're really messed up. It's like, wow, you're using sex as a tool to reclaim empowerment in the face of something horrible that happened to you. That's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to use desire to reclaim psychological agency over things. And that doesn't mean that you want it to happen in real life. You know, like surveys have shown that 50% ish of women have fantasies about being um, non-consensually taken by a man. That does not mean that those women want to have it in real life, obviously, but that fantasy is creating some kind of a psychological release. Maybe it's because women feel like they have permission to enjoy sex in a sex shamey culture where they're not allowed to want sex, right? Maybe it's because women often feel like they need to take care of everyone else. And so to just fully relax and surrender um, is really healing. I mean, there could be any number of social and psychological and factors. So I totally get that it can be scary to see what it is that you desire and fantasize, but I really wanna invite you to say, hey, it makes sense why I'm fantasizing about this. It doesn't mean I want this in real life necessarily or, or at all, you know, like maybe it's something that should not or could not happen in real life. And, but, but just the fact that you're fantasizing about it isn't something you choose. And it's okay to let yourself have self-acceptance and enjoy that fantasy just in the privacy of your own mind. So uh, again, beautifully put, and there's, there's a second question that's very similar, but a little bit different. And this person asked, how do I know which of my fantasies are actually a deep-seated thing inside of me and how much is just something that I enjoy? I guess the question is, does it matter? Because if you want to analyze your fantasies and be like, okay, is this a sign of something wrong with me? It's not coming from the right place. It's coming from a self-judgmental, self-pathologizing, self-critical place. Um, if you want to investigate your fantasies and desires just for the sake of curiosity, then you can work with someone like me, a sexuality coach or a therapist to just be like, oh, I'm curious about what's there. And if something comes up, that's great. You know, like, for me, um, I like to have, I know that when I fantasize, like I'll fantasize a lot about medical fantasies because I'm terrified of going to the doctor. I'm terrified of getting my blood drawn. So I'll have these like weird medical fantasies. Here I go saying weird, right? Like the shame runs deep. But I'll have these medical fantasies. And for me, it makes sense. So it's like, oh, okay. It's because I'm terrified of going to the doctor. So I get some agency and can reclaim power over that in my mind. Um, if you want to spend some time analyzing, like, what's the link there? Cool. That's great. If it will help you understand yourself better. Great. If you also just want to enjoy your fur fetish or whatever, and it doesn't have some like clear, deeply rooted, you know, cause in childhood or whatever, like that's also fine. Um, well put. I think the, the the curious thing would be yes. So definitely, if it's if it's for fear, as you were saying with the fir first one, um, a, a giant sort of like who cares part would be really important. Like, hey, you know, enjoy what you enjoy. 
my question sort of just what came to mind for me reading that was that what if it's something like, um, you know, could it be a clue into something that I, I would actually enjoy in real life? Or is it possible this is really just sort of to your point about 50% uh, of women fantasizing about wanting to be taken? Is it is it something that is more a deep seated psychological thing than an actual cue to something I would enjoy in real life? So the question is, should I actually consider trying this in real life in some way? That's that's my question based on this yeah. person's question. Yeah. Right. Um, I think a good way to take baby steps towards exploring that would be um, if you have a partner to be like, hey, I'm curious about watching this kind of porn with you or something or like, let's spin a fantasy together while um, you know, we're mutually masturbating or while I'm masturbating or even in sex, if you're open to that, you know, maybe that feels like two worlds that shouldn't meet, but like something I will have my, my couples that I work with do is just talk about a desire out loud, which makes it so much more real than, um, just living it in your mind. And it's way less real than actually doing it. So I think there's, there's these middle grounds of like, okay, am I open to watching this porn by myself or with my partner instead of having this in my mind? Am I open to spinning this fantasy with my partner, even just with clothes on, just talking about it out loud? Um, am I willing to talk about this with a therapist if I don't have a partner, if I don't want to go there with a partner and just talking it out loud makes it a little bit more real than just living it in your mind, but it's not actually being enacted, right? So I think baby steps and just like, exploring the you know porn and talking about the fantasy you know you could journal it out you could write down to yourself like here's some here's the fantasy and those things make it a little bit more real than just thinking about it so that's a good way to explore like how do i okay do i do i am i curious about you know, am i feeling the call to go a little even further or am i like cool that's that's good um, all right, so there's three more questions, two of which are very similar. So I'm going to, they're kind of similar. Um, so one person said, what do I do if I've stopped finding my partner attractive? And the other person said, what do I do if I'm no longer interested in having sex with my partner? Obviously, mm -hmm. those two go hand in hand, but they're not, they're not literally the same question. Totally. Yeah, that's really hard. And with quarantine and COVID, our sex lives and our libidos have all taken a hit. Okay, so you're not alone. I think there's a there's several pieces to investigate there. If you have lost attraction to your partner, some questions to ask yourself are, you know, am I feeling emotionally disconnected from my partner? Um, is there a way that I feel like we haven't really been connecting? We're going in kind of separate directions or we've just been really checked out from each other because that can be that can really affect attractiveness you know um you know and what's also real is that like sometimes we gain weight and we age and like it's true that it's it's very possible to be like man i'm i'm struggling to like feel attracted to my partner because they've gained 50 pounds and i feel so embarrassed to admit that out loud but like you know i feel you like we're we're human animals and it makes sense that like Sometimes you can become physically unattracted to somebody and that sucks. That's hard, you know? And I think there's a way to really gently, lovingly talk to your partner about that and just be like, yeah, I wish it wasn't this way, but I'm really noticing, you know, that's just what's, that's, that's what's happening for me. And can we like work on this together? You know, is there a way we can both invest in our, 
our health and well-being more if like you know maybe we've both been gaining weight or whatever um and i think the lack of desire to have sex is even a little different than just not being attracted because that could be you feeling like you don't have enough alone time or you don't have enough space from them like you're overly entwined because of quarantine and so therefore um, you know, they're starting to feel very familial. There's this great book, Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel that says that, um, yeah, basically when people start to think of each other as family members, the sex drive just kind of goes away. So that could be, you know, stress is also a big factor. So something to investigate is, do I need more alone time? Um, do we need more emotional connection time? Do we want to just give each other like non-sexual physical touch, like massages, like take a bath together? Like, can we cuddle more? Are there ways to initiate physical connection that aren't just about sex? So those are all things to think about and explore. Really well put. So uh, the last one is way off uh, of everything else we've talked about. So uh, before we get into that, if, if uh, once again, people are really enjoying what you're putting down and are like, wow, okay, these are some things I would like to talk about further. How can people find you? Where can they reach out? Yeah, I would love for you to go to my website, lovewithjanelle.com to see um, how to work with me and my programs and resources. And I also have a lot of wonderful resources through my TikTok and YouTube and Instagram videos and posts, which is at love with Janelle is my handle. So the last question, and, and this one, again, is kind of off of what you talk about, but uh, this person asked, why does smoking weed allow me to reach a higher stage of arousal? Do you have an answer for that? Sure. It's because it gets you out of your head and into your body. No question. Yeah. Weed is an amazing tool. Um, you know, we have this thing we say in the sexology world, which is the brain is the biggest sex organ, which on the one hand means so much of arousal comes from fantasy and from desire. On the other hand, we live in this super left brain culture where our brain can get in the way of arousal and desire because we'll overthink like, is this okay? Am I supposed to be doing this? Uh, like, I'm, you know, what's happening? Uh, does, does, do they really like me? So of course, weed helps you just sink into your physical sensation. I mean, that's literally what sensual means, right? It means senses of the senses. So if you are suddenly tapped into the way that this, the cloth feels on your skin and you're really tapping into your breath and smell and taste and touch, um, those things are powerful. Those are powerful elements of desire and a lot of arousal is responsive. Um, some desire can be spontaneous where you're just like oh i'm thinking something sexy and now i'm turned on but a lot of it is like oh wow like mm, i'm feeling this amazing like silk on my skin and there's like i'm drinking wine and looking into my partner's beautiful eyes and their fingers are caressing my skin and my hair and like wow i'm my desire is in response to this sexy scene that's happening so yeah if weed is a tool that helps you get into your body and out of your head i'm all for it Awesome. Well, final two questions are for you. Uh, the same ones I've, I've, I've finished every interview with. And that is number one, you know, during COVID, we've all had to learn new ways to cope. But for you, not just during this period, what are the best self-care 
habits that you have found. That's number one. And number two is we've essentially spent the last 45 minutes learning why we should all follow you and, and, and your, how all the amazing work you're doing. Who are some other incredible people that, that you read, that you listen to, that you watch, you know, who, who are you following? Well, one of my idols is Esther Perel, who I mentioned earlier, who's an incredible, I think she's Belgian, um, relationship therapist. And uh, she talks a lot about eroticism. She's written two books that I love, um, Mating in Captivity and um, The State of Affairs. Absolutely love her work. Um, and I also was trained at the Somatica Institute, which was founded by two incredible women, Celeste and Danielle, who are geniuses at sex and relationship coaching. So a lot of my ways of thinking and my methodologies stem from them. So those are two amazing, powerful forces for good in the um, shame-free sexual empowerment realm. Um, I also, if you go to my Instagram, you can look at who I'm following. I'm following lots of different um, sex educators, um, sexuality coaches who I admire and think are doing great work. So feel free to, to check that out too. And your self-care habits? <laughs> I mean, sex and masturbation are huge. You're the first um, one. There we go. We finally have someone who admits masturbation on that part. Yeah. And also touch with my partner, which is great. Um, you know, and that's something we've been trying to navigate because our libidos have felt a little mismatched in quarantine, but yeah, just like massaging each other and um, giving each other happy endings. It's been really nice. Um, I love baths. I've been loving baths. Um, I've been enjoying wine and chocolate. Sometimes, you know, I, I definitely have a complicated relationship with alcohol where sometimes it feels like this really wonderful way to relax. And sometimes it feels like a numbing out tool. So it's complicated there, but you know, gotta love wine and chocolate as like tools. Um, I haven't been, I haven't been smoking any weed, but I've been like, maybe I should get, get, get back into enjoying, enjoying that. Um, I also really love creating content. Like sometimes like when I put, um, when I, when I put that out there, it feels like art. And I love that it's like community-based art where I can like express myself and have people give me their responses, um, both encouraging and complicated. And, um, you know, I love it when people tell me that like what I'm saying scares them or doesn't resonate with them too, because it creates amazing conversations and fodder for me. Um, for more creativity. Well, Janelle, it's been wonderful chatting with you. This is going to be a fantastic episode and I, I really appreciate you taking the time for, for myself and all my listeners. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, it was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for the work you're doing to end stigma around mental health and um, drug use and about around relationships and sexuality too, as we've just done in this episode. Y'all know that I love CBD, and almost since day one of this podcast, I've been lucky enough to be sponsored by Mountain Made. And while my wife and I swear by their full-spectrum CBD chewables, sometimes at the end of the day, I need just a little bit more to help me relax. So when my wife is joining me, I pull out a Mountain Made puff, and those are awesome. But when it's just me, I, they're just a little bit more than what I'm looking for. So what do I do? I throw a couple of hits from Boston Empire into my bowl, and it's the perfect way to end the day. Boston Empire has the finest loose leaf CBD flower and some pretty cool edibles too. So when I add it to everything I'm using from Mountain Maid, 
it is the perfect compliment. If you check out Boston Hempire using the link in my show notes or my podcast website, you will be helping out the podcast as well as getting some of the finest CBD flour on the market. So check it out today. We've come to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I hope you've learned a lot from the incredible guests we had today. Janelle is uh, such a wealth of knowledge, and all the work she's doing is so cool. Please follow her on social media. You're going to love it. She's one of my favorite Instagrams to follow, and I learn a lot. It's not just entertaining, which it is, but it's also uh, educational, and I learn a lot from her. You know, this season, as I said in the intro, has been amazing. The, 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 the sponsors, the guests are just the, the coolest. But the best part about this season, without a doubt, is all of y'all. It couldn't have happened. You know, I'm not saying I would have quit if like 10 people were listening to the show, but it would have been a lot harder. And so all of you being so incredibly supportive and listening to every episode and reaching out and you know, having questions for Janelle, that kind of thing. It's just so great. Thank you. Thank you for making this season what it was. I hope you enjoy the special episodes over the next six weeks or so and are excited for season two. I am so excited to bring you season two. It's going to be amazing. But first, for the last time this season, there are the cards. We are using the 54 Reasons Why You Matter pack because it's the season finale, and that's my favorite. So uh, thank you, Blurt, for being a huge contributor to this season. It's made it really fun having your cards to play with and to read every episode. So your last Blurt card for this season is as follows. There are trillions of cells in your body, and all they care about is you. (laughs) That's awesome. We're going to do one more because it's the season finale. Your light shines so brightly, you might not be able to see it, but we can. What a great way to end the season on that one. I like both of those. Uh, The second one was a little better. That's okay. Thank you, uh, Blur. That is incredible. Yes, all of you for listening. Your light shines brightly even if you can't see it. I really appreciate having all of you as part of the Choose Your Struggle family. Thank you for being here. Here is your good egg for the off-season. You know, keep subscribing, keep uh, reviewing, rating, you know, sharing, all the stuff. But the most important thing you can do this offseason is to live the choose your struggle mantra. Make sure you are following what's going to make you happy, whether it's a little thing and being able to say no and protect your peace like we learned from Kia Dixon. Or it's issues of substance misuse like we learned from Basha. Or uh, it's it's you know, taking care of your mental health, like we learned from so many of the guests this season, from the very first people when it's in the workplace, you know, Kristen Zavo talked about, or, uh, you know, embracing your singlehood, like Akemia Deadweiler talked about, or all the way through, you know, being a great advocate like Tesha Swan, or being educated on the history of substance misuse and drug policy, as we learned from Natalie and Kellen and John Hudek. So many incredible guests this year. I can't name them all because that would be this episode. So the point of that is live this mantra this offseason. Follow what makes you happy. Follow what's going to make you a better version of you. Follow what is going to be your passion. I love you all. Thank you for making this season what it was. I will see you 
in six weeks. But, of course, I'm not going to leave you without this. In that time, in that time, be vulnerable, show your empathy, spread your love, and choose your struggle. There's very little better than waking up in the morning to a truly fantastic cup of coffee. And if you're like me, you're looking for something that tastes fresh and isn't weak or overproduced. That's why I've switched to Four Sigmatic and I won't go back. Four Sigmatic mixes their beans with mushrooms to give your brain that jumpstart you didn't know you needed. So go to the link in my show notes or on my podcast page and use the code CHOOSEYOURSTRUGGLE at checkout for 10% off. You can sign up for one of their awesome subscriptions or just try buying a bag. And with their 100% money back guarantee, there's no downside. So check them out today and don't forget the code, choose your struggle. Mm-hmm.